0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield.
1: Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm your host Matt Addison with Theo Squires and Sean Bradbury alongside me as we talk Southampton, the Ballon d'Or and the Merseyside derby. We'll start with Southampton though after Liverpool won 4-0 over the weekend in a game that was pretty easy for Liverpool in all honesty in the end. Theo, you, like me, were there at Anfield. It was really straightforward for the Reds. The early goal obviously helped considerably with that. But I suppose that the big takeaway really for me for the game was Liverpool's attack is just absolutely flying at the moment.
2: Yeah, when we were doing um, the debrief after the game, it was just the, the recurring point of how have Liverpool just won a game 4-0? And we're talking about Mohamed Salah's not scored, Sadio Mane's not scored. But that they were so deadly as a front three um, coming back from what was it, a little injury, Diogo Jota. He's just linking up with these other two players so well at the moment. And it is a decent front three in its own right. And you're just so grateful that he's scoring the goals and he's in this form. When we've still got that cloud of in January, you're losing Salah, you're losing Mane. You're hoping Roberto Firmino will be back in time when that happens. But it's what, until Jamie Vardy got his brace yesterday, you could say Liverpool had the three leading goal scorers in the division. I think now Mane and Jota are a th- joint third behind Vardy. But they're just scoring goals for fun. Like you're expecting them to score two or three every single game. And it was one where it, it was a surprise that Salah didn't score. It was a surprise that Mane didn't score. But it's not as though they played badly. They were dangerous throughout. They didn't miss any sitters or anything. They were just having, I suppose, the extra bodies marking them and they still found a way to cause trouble. Uh, Mane almost got Southampton's, uh, was it Bednarek, Bednarek sent off. Um, probably should have been a red card if we're being honest. Salah had like two, three men on him and he still managed to find the room to set up Jota for his second goal. And they're just in the form of their lives at the moment. And It's just as well because you think Liverpool, they've been a bit leaky defensively and that, that was the case against Southampton. Klopp spoke about it after the game, saying he wasn't happy with how many chances they conceded. But Alisson's stopping anything that's coming there. And when you've got these guys in this sort of form, Liverpool will win games. Um, you mentioned the early goal there. He well, it brings it back to what the Brighton game, where they got the early goal, but then um, they lost control of that. They couldn't build on, they couldn't get the win. I think well, if they'd managed to do what they did on Saturday against Brighton, they'd be top of the league. And it's, at least they are doing it now. Like It's only one or two blips you can have along the way seem to have been invigorated by the international break. They're really finding form at the right spot. Moller might be third in the table, a couple of points off the lead. Um, When it is that close, when there is one point separating first and one point separating second and third, it could come down to goal difference. And when you've got players scoring this many goals, you wouldn't back against Liverpool. They just need to be scoring enough goals to get in these wins without making the mistakes at the back. So in the last few weeks, it's so far so good.
1: Yeah, I saw someone say Chelsea have the best defence, Sean. Uh, Manchester City have the best midfield, but Liverpool have the best attack. And quite often the team that scores the most goals in the Premier League does go on across the course of, of that season to, to win the thing. So, I mean, it, it's just so encouraging at the moment, I think, isn't it, that attacking-wise, you just know Liverpool are going to do the business. Uh, but
0: 100%. And, you know, I think Salah, what is it? It's something like 17 goals and 8 assists in 18 games so far this season. You know, I, I think he was one who, as everything crumbled around him last season, still stood up and performed to the elite levels. We know he can do, and he's just carrying that on. I think Mane has put to bed any suggestions that there was some kind of dip setting in with him last season. I think even in the snatches we've seen it for me. You know, so far this season, obviously unfortunately, is out with injury at the moment. He's looked good, but you know, Jot is the one I think at the moment, especially after the weekend, is, is really standing out as the talking point. You know, Klopp spoke about him afterwards, didn't he? And um, didn't didn't shy away from very fulsome praise, he's basically saying he was the perfect signing for this team and said technically, physically and tactically, you know, he's he's got everything you could ask for. And I I think he's absolutely spot on. I saw one tweet after the game and totally agree with this. Drawing a comparison and, you know, you don't say this lightly between Jota and Fowler. And I think there's there's a lot of merit in that. You know, someone who's dangerous with their left foot, with their right foot, with their head as well. You know, how many times have we already seen Jota score or threaten um, you know, from headers, not 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 even always from set pieces. You know, from lots of situations. I think it's it's remarkable as well how how rare that is, even for elite strikers in the Premier League or in Europe, that you can use both feet and and you're good in the air. But in Jota and in Mane and, and in the other guys, you know, Liverpool have got someone and multiple players you can do that. But yes, just that, that mixture of intelligence, busyness, and danger, whatever combination of that front three, Liverpool are putting out there. It's it it's all there. Um, yeah, and you know, Jota as well. It made me laugh at the weekend that little thing about him coming from straight from an abandoned FIFA tournament to come and bang in a couple of goals. You know, I, I was thinking back to the, the old David James days about how Liverpool have been haunted by players who like video games. You know, he was he had those. He was on Tomb Raider all the time, wasn't he? And letting goals at the at, at the wrong end. But but yeah, Jota, whatever he's doing, keep doing it. He's, he's absolutely brilliant.
1: I think it, it's fair to say he's kind of changed his game as well since coming to Liverpool, Theo. Three of his goals this season inside the six-yard box, the other five between six and 12 yards. He's not scored any from further out this season. and That's eight goals this season compared to 13 across the entirety of last season. He's really sort of become a real number nine, which is is not something Liverpool have tended to have under Jurgen Klopp so far.
2: Um, well, it's funny you should say that because I've been speaking to John Aldridge today um, for his column for us and he's basically been saying the same thing. He's saying Liverpool haven't had a striker like this since Michael Owen, one of those penalty area ones that you can just get on the end of anything and score goals. And Aldo did actually make the comparison to that was the sort of striker he was in his own playing days. But So he loves Jota even more because of that similarity there. But it, they are such vital players. Like It might not be as glamorous as the, the forwards you get these days, like your Messi's and your Ronaldo's and your Salas, who can beat three or four men and put it in the top corner. But does it matter how it goes in, as long as it goes in? like It's going to be before many a, a listener or viewers' time, but Gary Lineker, he's one of the greatest strikers English football's ever had. And he will say himself, he was just this six-yard uh, box striker, wasn't he? Like, I, I think it was um the... Was it the Match of the Day podcast with Mika Richards and Alan Shearer? And Micah Richards was going to them. Who was the better player out of you and Shearer? And Linacre had no doubts. Oh, Shearer, he, he could do everything. I just scored when I was in the six-yard box. But that's what you need. You need goals. That's what how you win games. It's very obvious, but that's what gets the job done. And we're seeing this from Jota, this side that Liverpool haven't had this number nine that was lacking so much last season when they were going through these games and dropping points and not taking their chances. They didn't have someone in the six-yard box just getting the end of things. And it's been a criticism of Roberto Firmino. But then by having Jota there, when Firmino's been fit, he's been getting in there more as well. So it seems to be rubbing off on the teammates. And it's a really nice way to complement each other. The fact they've got this... Variation of abilities. But then at the same time, Jota's obviously hungry to score. He'll get on the end of things like he was sprinting to get on the end of for his first goal, getting there ahead of Mohamed Salah. But he's still capable of standing on the edge of the box and rifling it in from outside of the area. He might not have done it yet this season, but we know he's got it in his locker. But then at the same time, does he really need to? We've seen Jordan Henderson do it this season. We've seen Oxide Chamberlain try it a few times. is now doing it as well. Trent's obviously got it in his locker. Fabinho's got it in his locker. He can just score any type of goal. And it's one where, when Liverpool are going to be in such a tight title race, uh, any little advantage like that helps. When you've got a player who's just in the six-yard box, it doesn't matter how it falls to him. It could be a keeper save, a deflection or anything, uh, a cross that's just been picked out to him and he's managed to get ahead of his marker. You back him to get at the end of it and get some very important goals. And that's why we're having this conversation now that it's not Liverpool's famous front three anymore. It's a front four and one that might only be three of them starting it's very hard to say who the two starting alongside Mohamed Salah will be because the other three have all been brilliant when they played this season.
1: I'm sure it's got to help as well when you've got fullbacks playing in the way that Liverpool have theirs, Sean. It was the first time in almost a year that both Trent and Robertson had provided an assist in the same match for Liverpool, which I thought was really, really interesting. But Andy Robertson in particular looked back to his best and there's been lots of conversations around him and and Costa Simikas this season, but I think the one thing that I took away from Southampton was that Robertson has really reset, looked refreshed. And obviously that competition is really pushing him to do a lot better.
0: Uh, absolutely. And, you know, we, we've said this on pods recently, you know, when when the whole Simmercast and Robertson debate comes up. And I can understand why, you know, Klopp gets asked about it and why amongst the fans, especially on social media, it, it's, it becomes quite a black and white you know, which one is best, which one deserves to start, which one's first choice debate. You know, it's it's kind of easy and we all fall into the habits of reducing things to that, but it's just such a more complex and layered situation, isn't it? And I think that explains Klopp's frustration when he gets asked about it. But also, I think, you know, he's been quite clear that Robertson's still the main man and you, you saw that in, in spades at the weekend. He just looks so sharp. I think... It, it, he's been obviously using some of the time away to think about how he delivers the ball I thought there was there was a bit more precision and purpose and whip on some of his crosses and obviously he got one assist could have had another if, if Jota had stuck his toe out a few inches further and it, it, there, was a, there was a little stat that flashed up on match today as well saying I think he was top for chances created might have been top for balls such as or some other attacking metric but he was top for sprints as well and that surprised me a little bit albeit you know um, didn't didn't you know, you often think that might be a forward player, but like like you've said, Matt, you know, the, the full-backs in Liverpool are, are a bit of a different animal, aren't they? So, you know, that can happen. But, yeah, I think he's, he's, as well, you know, perhaps also with the likes of Sadio Mane and some others, he's one of the guys that you think is most pressed upon during the international breaks. He's captain of his country. He, he always plays, doesn't he, if he's fit. And there's been times where... He might have had slight knocks, but he's played through the pain barrier as you'd want to when you represent your country and you lead it, as well as being a key figure for your team. So I just see the whole Timmy and Robertson situation as, as a massive positive. You know, you've got this guy, you can come in, be a very, very capable deputy, push the the main man to even greater heights, which I think you may be starting to see the first seeds of at the weekend. And, and hopefully you can carry that forward. I mean, we'll, we'll come on to our team selections for the derby. But I just think after what you've seen for Robertson at the weekend, there's, there's no question in my mind now that he starts on Wednesday and that ultimately he, he still is the main man
2: you got to remember with Robertson as well that he picked up that ankle injury didn't he on the eve of the season and that's not an easy one to come back from because you've got to get the strength back in it and then he's seen Simicast start the season in fine form and he'll have this doubt in his uh, mind about losing his place and then He's also had a late start to pre-season because he's captain Scotland at the Euros. And while it was only the group stages, Scotland haven't been in a, a final since, what, 1998. So he's got the pressure there and he's doing something that no other Scottish players have done for a generation. And then he's got this knock here on the uh, last international break. And taking him up the firing line there has allowed him to refresh. Like Hop said it himself, we could have played him in this game. Uh, I think it was against Porto. But we had to make a choice, one or the other and it was better to have, make sure he was ready for the next one. And he showed that against Southampton. Um, I was on holiday, I think, for the October international break, and I was actually reading his book, and basically what Sean said there, uh, it was exactly the same. Like, There's so many times in that book where he was saying oh, he had a knock and he was a doubtful one game, but he played through it because he needed to, because Liverpool were going for a Premier League title, and he was devastated to miss games for Scotland or Liverpool because Liverpool were going for the title. Scotland was trying to qualify for the Euros, and he put so much pressure on himself. And he's got this self-doubt because he's still this kid inside, doesn't he, that was released from Celtic for not being big enough. Like he might have won the Premier League or the Champions League, but he's still got that anxiety inside him, which I'm sure you'll find most footballers have. That's what uh, pushes the best on, that they're still eating away at themselves. And when he's got this criticism coming in for him this year and he's seen Simacas doing well, it's all these pressures. It's going to build more and more. But by having that week off after the international break, where he's not off. He's still working hard behind the scenes, making sure he's fully fit, but he can actually get fully fit rather than, we need you, Robbo. We don't have another left back unless we're playing Millie out of position, but then Millie's injured anyway. He was able to take that step back and, actually catch up because he needed that catch up because it is awful when you get injured on the right on the eve of the new season. That will be devastating for any player, especially when you've had that late uh, return for pre-season because pre-season is the most important time to hit the ground running and that was taken away from him. And while he's not been able to have a second pre-season from having this little break, we've certainly seen the benefits from him now. And like Sean said, I wouldn't have any doubts about him starting the derby. But maybe he can rest a bit easy now that if he needs a break or if he's got a knock, doesn't have to play through the pain as much because it is going to be a case of rotating between the two. It is not a case of Robertson is first choice or Simicas plays really well. He is first choice. It is whichever one of them is in the best condition to get Liverpool three points. More times than not, you'd favour that to be Robertson. But Simicas is there to compliment and not take his place.
0: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo
1: we head into December the squad is going to be used Sean I think it's a, a really crucial potentially defining period for all of the three teams at the top if you look at the fixtures for Manchester City and for Chelsea they're actually fairly similar actually in terms of the quality and quite a lot of, of overlap in terms of the fixtures that uh, Liverpool and, and City in particular have got I know they both play Aston Villa both play play at Brentford, easier for me to say. Um, but it, it does sort of feel like a, a real stretch now for, for Liverpool to, to get into a real groove, find that rhythm. They've got nine games in December, big ones as well. If, if they do get this bit right, it, it could be one where they really push on.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, how many times have we seen that in recent seasons where Liverpool... Uh, maybe it's always been like this and I'm kind of misremembering, but they seem to have, you know, not far off ten, a dozen games in December. And as you say, how well they do in them defines how well they're set up then for the second half of the season. But I, I just think, you know, f- for many of the reasons we've already discussed, the the way the front line are performing, the options at um fullback, the fact that there isn't that doubt around who will be playing centre half at all this season. You know, you've got a lot of capable options who are all if not in peak fitness, are working their way towards it. But the absolute key for it to me, I said this a week or two ago, is is the midfield. I think Liverpool's midfield, the fitness of Thiago and Fabinho and the combinations they can build around them is is the key to the title, basically. And, you know, I'd I'd take, if you offered me now 20 games where Fabinho and Thiago start together, I'd bite your hand off for that. And and I would expect, not not only hope, but I would expect that Liverpool would win the league if they had that. You know, I'd probably take 15 if you offered that now. You know, that'd be a great basis to build on, but... I just think, you know, what, what we've seen over the last week, not only three games with with a 10-0 aggregate like scoreline that, you know, was really allowed Liverpool to kick on after the international break and put West Ham behind them. But just look at the midfields, you know, Arsenal, you had Thiago and Fabinho together, Blues Brothers' style, the, the band was back together. And no coincidence that Oxley chamberlain played well as well there. And then Porto, you know, suddenly showed that Liverpool have got options again in midfield, that whole debate. And, the, the frostiness of Klopp back in the summer when he was asked about his, his midfield options that did threaten to kind of rear its head again, didn't it, a few weeks ago. Suddenly gets played down, you know, Morton comes in and does okay. Thiago builds on his Arsenal performance and plays well. And then Saints, it's it's the midfield we've all been waiting for, isn't it, that's only been seen three times so far. And, yeah, I just think, I think it's great. I think the way Liverpool approach the Champions League as well this season feeds into it because, you know, they seem to go full strength in every game, albeit that they kind of had to given the strength of the group. But made the mockery of it and and the fact that they could do what they did against Porto and do what they will do, I presume, in in the San Siro against Milan and and that's play a, a bit of a shadow team, a bit of a second string one, they can still have a go at the game and you know, take it seriously and try and get the two and a half million that you get for winning the Champions League game. But it's just it's bought Liverpool time, it's allowed them to phase their options back in and give players minutes where they might not have got them um, otherwise. But yeah, I, I think you're right, it's it's a defining period. But Liverpool did they have they've sent a real message to Chelsea. Like, I think ever since Chelsea beat Leicester, Liverpool just like they've they've had the bit between their teeth. They responded to that last weekend and then obviously the two games since have been have been top class. Um and they did it again at the weekend. And don't think it's any surprise that, that Chelsea slipped up a bit, you'd have to say, failing to beat Man United in, in the current climate, albeit you know, they've made the decision on Olay and maybe have had a can you have an interim manager bounce? I'm, I'm not sure, but you know, they ever so slightly seem to be having that. It, it's a slip-up, isn't it? And and Liverpool look like they're smelling blood at
1: the moment. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting, actually, the stats with Thiago and Fabinho together. I think it's 13 wins, one draw, no defeats for Liverpool. So I think the, the key very much is to get those two on the pitch together as much as possible. And presumably that will start uh, against Everton. Just before we come on to, to Everton, though, I did want to speak a little bit about the Ballon d'Or, which is going to be announced a little bit later on today. I'm conscious that by the time a lot of people listen to this, they may know already who has won that. But we do have to, to sort of speak about Mohamed Salah. He didn't score, Theo, against Southampton at the weekend. But the sort of form that he's in, he's got to be a real contender, hasn't
2: he? Um, I wouldn't say he's a contender for it this year. I'd say he should be. He's best player in the world on form at the moment. He's scoring goals for fun. But his 2021 has not been what you need it to be to win the Ballon d'Or. Um, and that's not saying he's played badly by any means, but I think his chances of winning the Ballon d'Or ended as soon as Joel Matip and Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez all picked their injuries up in, what was it, October, November, January. Um, as soon as that happened, Liverpool's chances of challenging for the titles and Champions Leagues ended. Uh, the football calendar hasn't been kind to him to give him the chance of winning it because Liverpool haven't been able to challenge for these titles. He hasn't what been able to qualify for a World Cup with Egypt. He hasn't been able to play in the Africa Cup of Nations with Egypt. He hasn't got that success behind him. He doesn't even have a Premier League golden boot to his name for um, last season. And it's one where it, that will count against him. Like He needs to have done a bit more. But it's how do we judge who has been the best player in the year? Do you just give it to Lionel Messi because he's the best player on the planet, even though he's not having a, the best of seasons for PSG? It's not the hardest league, is it, in France? And he's not scored that many. I know he got three assists at the weekend. But he he could do that anywhere. He's doing it in France. It's a nothing league, let's be honest. Uh, He scored a couple of goals in the Champions League. But then at Barcelona, he was scoring goals for fun. What did he win? Nothing last year. Won the um, Copa America with Argentina. So I reckon that probably means he's going to be the favourite for it. Or if we're going to record, this is why Lionel Messi has won it, because he won the Copa America for Argentina. Whichever version you want to put out there, Matt. (laughs) Um, I can say with Ronaldo as well, what, he won the golden boot in Italy, didn't he? Juventus were rubbish. Only just got into the top four. Only just qualified for the Champions League. Having won the league for what best part of a decade. Um, Portugal went missing at the Euros. He, he scored a few goals for United, but they're rubbish as well. But, uh, what they're the best players on the planet? Do they just get it for that, or do we do the other side and say, "Jorginho, he's a, okay. He won the Champions League. He won the Euros. Made a howl over a mistake at the weekend, but he's got those medals. So does it go to him?" It's hard to judge. I think we're in that mix now of so many things can come into it, but you need something more to back it up. And that's the only reason Jorginho is in the conversation to begin with. You're thinking maybe Mendy would have a chance or maybe Encolo uh, Kante, but there isn't really a standout this year. Whereas last year when it was cancelled, I think we'd have all said Robert Lewandowski deserved it. Um but if we have this conversation next year, we could be saying Mohamed Salah is the best player in the world. He's taken over from Ronaldo. He's taken over from Messi emphatically. He's taken Egypt to the World Cup. Depending on when they hold the ceremony, the World Cup could have been underway. So you assume they're going to go a bit early for it, but it'll be on the eve of the Qatar World Cup. He um, could have had a very good Africa Cup of Nations with Egypt in January. He, the way he's looking, he's going to at least have a Premier League golden boot to his name, like missing two or three games in January should not be enough for a Jamie Vardy or ever to come back and take it off him. And then you're saying, well, what's he done with Liverpool? It might be a bit much for him to win the Premier League this year, but Champions League, League Cup, he's going to have more to his name this year than he has, or this season, than he did off the back of last. Um, so, yeah, it's just... It's a bit of a nothing Ballon d'Or this year because there isn't really any standout players who you'd say deserve to win it. It will probably just go to Messi because he is the best player in the world. But next year, should you'd like to think it could be Salah's time to deservedly take it because scoring goals in France isn't a much. It's not enough to make yourself the best player in the world, and neither is being a, a passenger in an Italy team or a Chelsea team. But getting your winners medals is yeah it's a strange one this year.
1: We mentioned his his numbers before. It did the matter a a little bit earlier on, Sean. If he carries on scoring and assisting at the same rate in the Premier League, he'll end up with 32 goals, 23 assists, which would smash the record, which I think is set by Alan Shearer, but that was in a 42-game season. Obviously, now it's only the, the 38. He beat Thierry Henry's record as well. I mean, it's almost become so normal with Mohamed Salah now that we just expect him to score an assist. We we don't seem to talk about just how good he is anymore. It's it just become, as I say, the absolute norm for him to do that. Uh, you know, definitely. And I think you almost see and feel
0: that with the dynamics of the Liverpool team and squad, you know, it, it even up to, I'd say, like, certainly the title winning season, you know, last season was obviously a bit of a write-off, but it felt like, there wasn't a star man. You know, I know there was, there's a few players you'd say have been the transformative ones, you know, Van Dyke, Alisson, Firmino obviously in the conversation and, and you could make the case for, obviously Firmino being integral to the style of play, the full-backs being brilliant, you know, basically the entire team. But, I do think Salah has elevated himself now to being the superstar on the team and, Obviously, that feeds into the contract negotiations and say there is an obvious case to make to give him more money than than the rest of them. which, obviously, you know, is, is, is quite a big shout, but I think it's justifiable. But but yeah, I mean, he's he's he is on another level, and and I would say what he did last season, thirty odd goals and fifty odd games, wasn't it? Despite as we said earlier, things around him not going to plan. That that almost is as much of a credit to him as as his form this season is when you know things are going to plan broadly speaking. But in terms of the Ballon d'Or, I think. Theo's absolutely spot on. You're at the mercy, aren't you, domestically and internationally, uh, of your teammates, of injuries, of luck of the draw. And, you know, in that respect, it hasn't gone Salah's way. But I'd like to think Theo's case has, has made the odds plummet for Salah to win it next year already, because, you know, he, he, he does look better set up, doesn't he? And even the start he's had to this season, you know, if you, if you could give the Ballon d'Or to someone for one month of football, you look back at October and what Salah did at, at Old Trafford and obviously, you know, Watford and City, and it's just ridiculous goals and incredible form that month. He's, 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 he's set himself up so well for, for a real tilt at it. Um, and, you know, I, I think, again, as Theo said, it, this one feels like it's messy to, to lose, doesn't it? You know, partly perhaps out of a bit of misty-eyed nostalgia of is this the last time realistically he can get it unless, you know, he really, really finds a, a second win with PSG next season. Um, but, yeah, I, personally, I, I think, I think it, it should be Lewandowski, even though it probably will be messy. But next season, I think Salah at this early stage, could be firing himself into favouritism. And, you know, if, if he does get it, it's a sign that Liverpool have had a phenomenal season.
2: I'm just going to two-foot a few more people the favorites, so <laughs> on the favourites, if I may. Um, I've got the favourites list here. Messi is the obvious favourite. Um, as I was saying, he, he didn't really do anything for his club. It's just for Argentina. Lewandowski, fair enough, won a league title. You deserved it last year. You were robbed by Ballon d'Or being cancelled. Karim Benzema, third favourite. Um, you didn't win the league. You didn't win the Euros. You scored a lot of goals, and you also are a bit naughty behind the scenes. That's as far as I'm saying on that. I'll, I'll be good, Matt. I won't let you scare get scared about that one. Jorginho, Champions League, Euros, but you wouldn't say he's the best player in Italy. You wouldn't say he's the best player for Chelsea. Then you've got Kante, 100 to 1. Mbappe, 100 to 1. Ronaldo, 100 to 1. No league titles there. Uh, Kante won the Champions League, but it'd be surprised if he won Ballon d'Or. Yeah, where are the honours here? It's just going off names because it's been a rubbish year of football because there weren't fans in stadiums and you're seeing weird teams win league titles like Atletico Madrid or Lille. No big names did anything. And then Chelsea managed to float the way to a Champions League win because they sacked the manager halfway through and Pep Guardioli decided to play 4 d chess and it backfired in his face. How are there no Man City players in this list? Yeah, it's a horrible year of football. 2021 did not happen. Fans are back now. Um, let's look ahead to next year. We'll, we'll start having the, the campaign for Salah twenty twenty two now. That's where it starts.
0: Got to give Eurosport a shout after this pod and see if they'll screen that tonight at the ceremony because uh, <laughs> people need to hear those words.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I suppose the, the the biggest thing to take out of all of that is that Salah is in the best place, I suppose, to win it next year. And hopefully he can uh, get back on the goal-scoring trail, having not scored at the weekend in the Merseyside derby. We'll finish the podcast with a bit of a chat about that. I'll come to you first on this one, Sean. I mean, Everton, it's fair to say, are not in the best form. They've lost, I think, five of the last seven. They've drawn the other two. The last team they beat was Norwich City, which I'm not entirely sure counts. And that was two months ago. So, Liverpool really are, are overwhelming favourites for this one. Yeah, I mean, you know, the form book goes out the window is, is the old cliche,
0: isn't it? But I, I just, I feel quite comfortable saying, I just don't, I don't think you can even begin to say that that this time around. The form book is, it's, it's, it's on the shelf, the curtains are drawn, the windows closed. I just, you know, I'm at, at the stage where I feel comfortable saying this because if Liverpool don't win this game, you know, we, as I said before, you know, you get a couple of shaky results against like Brighton and against West Ham and it feels like the title race is over. And while, while that's never normally the case, you know, Liverpool have, have responded and points will be dropped between now and the end of the season. But, you know, City won again at the weekend and they look sharp. OK, Chelsea were held against Man United, but they do look a team, don't they? And they were missing Chilwell, they were missing Kante. There's, there's excuses for that. But I think if Liverpool don't win this game, then they have to have... I know, even, even though it is a derby, and that, that usually is a caveat, but they have to kind of really have words with themselves at this point because, it, even though there's the whole derby factor, this is probably it's it's certainly the best Liverpool squad. Whether you can say this iteration of the team is better than the one that won the title or the one that won the Champions League is is another debate. But two goals a game at the moment is is virtually a guarantee, isn't it? It's, it's certainly the most threatening Liverpool team I can remember. And and Everton on the other side of the coin, I don't think it's I don't think it's the worst Everton squad, but given the absences at the moment, the fact that there'll be no Calvert-Lewin, there's injuries elsewhere, OK, there's a couple of players back, the likes of Richarlison, the just come back. But possibly in terms of atmosphere and toxicity, I think, around the fan base, if, if this goes wrong, you know, I, I think you could make the case that the, the polls have never been as far apart going into a derby. For all that we have said that before and and results of, you know, got Everton's way at unlikely times and vice versa it's happened to Liverpool as well but you know Everton looked at the form table before and Everton are absolutely rooted to the bottom of it as you've just said Matt I think it was the 25th wasn't it two months ago when they beat Norwich and that was their last win it might even be the longest run in their history without winning a game of football so you know it does feel like an exceptional set of circumstances this time round and you know, even the guys were set before, Richarlsson coming back is a big plus. Obviously, he did get the goal at Anfield last season, didn't he, that, that set them on their way to that win. But think back to that two-all draw at Goodison. He was one of the ones who lost his head, wasn't he? wasn't able to cope with how Liverpool were playing around and playing through Everton and through in a challenge that injured someone. I think the core has been phenomenal this season for Everton, but, you know, he was just returning to fitness, looked a little bit shaky at the weekend. We'll find out on Wednesday, I suppose, whether it was the right time to, to bring him back and give him minutes. Townsend Gray, they you know, obviously capable players who've, who've, who've come in under Benitez and for bargain fees, been capable of, of producing. But I think elsewhere, you know, Alan's not really in form. Not quite sure what's happening with Luca Dean. Was a player I really rated, but seems to be kind of shackled this season. And for what I, you know, I've seen at Everton and I've, and I've read but, and, and watched it from our guys that they put out there in, in echo content. You know, there's there's a lot of problems in the squad. They look very susceptible at set pieces. And as we've already talked about, you've got Robertson. Same if you get to the nod, Trent certainly, who just look like they're putting balls into the box at the moment with more threat about them than that they are for a long, long time. So, yeah, I mean, look, if if it, if it all goes wrong, <laughs> I'll have to eat some of those words, but I I don't really see the circumstances for how it does. You know, even if Everton try and do the dogs of war approach, which they they're fully entitled to do. You know, it's 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 a it's a tactic, isn't it? It's a way of trying to stop Liverpool, but. I'm not even sure that would work at the moment for a Liverpool team playing this well with with a very very specific point to prove given what happened in this game a couple of seasons back. The Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo
1: this fixture last season, obviously, Theo, was not the, the best one in terms of a couple of, of big injuries for Liverpool, Virgil van Dijk in particular. I know a lot of Liverpool fans will sort of have the word revenge in their minds going back there for the first time since then. But will that come into it at all for the players, do you think? Will Virgil van Dijk go there with a point to prove or, or does it not really come into it for those sorts of, of world-class players? Um,
2: Yes and no. It's not going to be a case of he's... Uh, over-emotional or anything like that. There's a score to settle, but it's a case of having that hunger to win, not that hunger to leave a mark or be dirty about it or anything like that. Like They'll just be determined. Like Jurgen Klopp's team talk should be fairly easy. Liverpool do have scores to settle against Everton. And when they're in such a bad place, it should be right, just put them in their place even more to show that they are one of the reasons why last season didn't go your way like you can just write off last season again. We've had a few moments this season where we can say last year was just a fluke because of circumstances and they were given this platform to start again. But this could be that final one where we can finally close that book on 2020, 2021. Um, Even then, they should have won the derby at Goodison last year. It was only a dodgy VAR call that cost them. Um, Very different circumstances when they played at Anfield. But, you know, Virgil van Dijk, Everton cost him captain in his country at the Amsterdam Arena in Euros. They've cost him chance of winning another Champions League or another Premier League. And it's not a case of, oh, you going to go and have an elbow up and leave one on Pickford for a record or anything like that? But it just gives you that hunger to win a game even more. Like, fans, they're going to be the same, aren't they? Liverpool lost at Anfield last year to Everton, first time in, what, over a decade, however long it was, 20 years. You, you want to beat Everton that bit more. It doesn't matter that they're not playing well at the moment, that they're in this horrible run without a win. There's still that anxiety to it that they could turn up and make it three, four derbies in a row without losing. Liverpool need to settle that score. They need to leave their mark on them in the right way. Klopp had his little dig, didn't he, at the weekend, where we'll be trying to play football and win it the right way. We'll see what the other team will do. Um and then it's interesting what what does Rafa Benitez do? I, I don't think fans from either uh, club can really buy into him doing an us and them, can they? It's not really going to be, come on, we've got to really be up for this. We know what Liverpool are like. It just doesn't sound right doing an us and them. and could go very nasty for as if it uh, goes against them. Like Everton have turned up to Anfield in recent times and lost 4-0, but Goodison hasn't been the best hunting ground for them. They've had a couple of narrow victories. They've never been pretty games, but this could be a chance for him to leave that mark at Everton's home while it could easily be one where Everton can put all their woes behind them, it's very hard for them when you look at the players they've got injured at the moment, the players they've got out of form, and when Liverpool have got this score to settle, um, it could be one that could be given a big boost heading into the festive period. And what would it mean for Benitez? I, I don't want to say he's going to be hanging on to his job or anything, because you just don't know what Everton are going to do. They, they can't just keep changing manager and manager and manager. And, They've been, he's been stung by financial fair play and not been able to strengthen his squad properly, but that goodison crowd. They're going to be very passionate and heated against Liverpool for 90 minutes, or you'd assume 90 minutes. But if the game starts to turn, we could be, what, 70 minutes in and they're calling for the manager's head or booing the players or anything like that. It is going to be a very uh, toxic atmosphere in more than ways than one
1: midweek. Just before we pick our Liverpool teams for the game, Sean, I did want to mention Rafa as well. Obviously, it's the exact sort of circumstance that we kind of thought might happen. If a few games did go against Everton, as it have been, Liverpool come to town, they've got a couple more difficult fixtures coming up as well. I mean, if they're going to turn on any manager, it's probably Rafa Benitez, isn't it? It it is, but I think...
0: It, it's so difficult. I don't envy the club or the fan base having to go through these emotions, really. I mean, my view, for, for what it's worth, uh, is that I think he was the best Everton could have got at the time. And I absolutely stand by that. I think, you know, what he's done at the moment is is quite typical of Rafa. I think, talking about this with, with Joe Rimmer earlier, actually, he's a manager who does have a bad run in him, partly because of, of stubbornness, almost a, a doubling down that his way is the right way. And I don't think he's someone who's hugely willing especially in the early phases of a a reign or of a tenure at a club, to compromise and, you know, water down his message and what he's trying to get the players to do. Uh, You know, like digging in and just forming a low block and sitting deep and and just trying to, you know, grind out results. It's not really his way. It's, It's more like, you know, here's my philosophy. And even if we are a bit, you know, depleted in terms of the squad. We'll we'll try and we'll try and get things done. But I, I still think you know, even if they're blown away in this derby, everything Theo said is right. You know, the, the atmosphere could be, you know, pretty awful if, if that is the case and that does happen. And already, certainly on social media, you're getting a lot of fans calling for his head. But there's also a few voices cutting through that. I think who who were kind of pointing to wider issues at Everton. And you know, they are at the, at the place I think where they've tried every different type of manager. And you have suddenly got one now who, if you look back to the summer, if you if you kind of skate around rondon and, and look at the other signings, you know begovic is a decent backup keeper but gray and townsend you know for a combined 1.8 million or whatever it is was was phenomenal business you know they've both been very very good and is there a better man who even if they lose the derby even if they have a really thorny time and the tricky run that they've got is there a better man now than rafa to make the a good fist of it in january with again what's going to be a very meager budget because of ffp and Restrictions that have you know kind of been self-imposed at Everton because of their spending, you know, I'm I'm not sure that there is you know so genuinely for for Everton's sake and and for Rafa's sake, I, I think that their best bet is to just as much as they can try and see past the Liverpool connections, which it's going to be hard. The we uh, the sorry Wednesday night, isn't it? Because you know the, the away end are going to be singing Rafa chants pretty much all night and calling for a wink and a wave if if there's a win. I think it's you know it <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see the dynamics at play in that respect, but. Yeah, I I genuinely think given given what previous managers have had at Everton in terms of time and budget, I think there is more to give Rafa. But if it goes bad on Wednesday and in the in the next few games, it, it will test the patience of the fan base and the ownership, you know, perhaps more than it's been tested in, in recent years.
1: Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see the reception he gets from both sets of supporters at Goodison Park on Wednesday night. Just before we finish the podcast, though, we'll pick our teams for the game. Alice and Becker will be in goal, Theo. But at the back, I'm going to bring Joel Matip in, but I don't think there's really an argument for Costa Semikas after what Andy Robertson did at the weekend.
2: No, I think you're spot on there. I think this team pretty much picks itself. Um, the last two results have played into Liverpool's hands and the fact that they've been able to give Virgil van Dijk a night off against Porto, or they've been able to take players off early. And it's one where there isn't really many hard decisions to have because you've got these players coming back from injury. Like, Canate, even if he'd had the game of his life against Porto or Southampton, you'd have still expected to see it being Matic was taken out against Southampton with an eye on this one because you wanted your, your strongest back for your Champions League final winning back four, with Robertson, it's a case of he's had his game out against Porto, came back from injury um, and was so brilliant at the weekend. You expect him to keep his place as well. With the, They're all fit. It's going to be Trent, Van Dijk, Matip and Robertson with Alisson in goal. You just can't see Klopp going for anything else. But at the same time, he does like a Merseyside Derby surprise. Um, with it being a three o'clock kickoff on Saturday, they've got that extra day recovery. It, it, could work out well for them and maybe you save more of your changes for wolves. I think that's the one next weekend. But there's no reason for him to change it up too much if he doesn't need to for this one. So yeah. But basically a really long winded to say way of saying, yes, Matt, I
0: agree. <laughs>
1: Sean, do you agree as well? And if you do, you might as well talk us through your midfield.
0: <laughs> um, OK, well, not quite at the back. Certainly 100% agree with Robertson. But Canate, for me, I just think Liverpool will be squeezing. You, you want that recovery pace. I think, you know, weirdly for a Benitez team, Everton have looked so vulnerable at set pieces this season. And I think it's—it's it's, there's not a lot in it, but between Kanate and Matip in terms of threat at the other end of the pitch. But I'd marginally go with Kanate just for that little bit of a... Of a bigger presence, um, you know. And I, th- I think in time, obviously Van Dyke is already clearly the most threatening defender, centre back at least from set pieces. But I think Kanate could, you know, potentially catch him up when he when he gets fully used to things. So I'd go that way around, and I'd, and I'd look to bring Matip in at the weekend. Midfield, yeah. I mean, there's there's maybe half a shout for Oxley Chamberlain. You know, he'd done well when called upon recently, and he did look good in that combination of him, Thiago and Fabinho, but. I think you've just got to go with, with the one that started at, at the weekend. And the fact that a couple of them came off early, Firmino stayed on, then the, the other two guys got 60, 65, 67 minutes maybe. I think that that was the sign to say that they're, they're Klopp's men on Wednesday nights. And yeah, I'd, I'd totally go with that three.
1: Yeah, Thiago Henderson and Fabinho for me, only the fourth time it would be, I think on Wednesday night it was only the third, wasn't it, over the weekend that they've played together. Is that the same for you, Theo, or do you think that might be the area where Klopp does his typical mad throw-on-in for, you know, maybe James Milner comes in out of the blue or Divock Origi plays there or something strange, there's usually something.
2: Not as strange as Divock Origi playing mid. That that would be a mad one, Matt, even for <laughs> Klopp for this. Um, yeah, I think, he, like, like I said, with the defence, he's got enough recovery time to just put the three out that you'd expect the first choice three. Um, Milner, I think we were saying on the podcast last week that it wouldn't be a surprise if he had been brought in, but there is enough recovery time and it was a case of players taking off early with the game one. with Henderson coming off early, Thiago not even getting an hour because the game was already won. That was very much going to be because you're playing him in the derby. There was no sign of injury there. If Liverpool uh, had, didn't want to start Thiago against Everton, then why'd you take him off after 58, 59 minutes against Southampton? So you'd be very surprised if Thiago isn't starting. And if Henderson isn't starting, um, Favini, I suppose, by that logic, could come out and you have Henderson as number six with Oxlade-Chamberlain there or something. But when there's no reason to change what should be the strongest Liverpool midfield three. And then Wolves is the game where you maybe change things up. Where you put in Oxlade-Chamberlain or you put in Milner. Uh, God knows when Naby Kate is going to be back. He seems to be missing in action at the moment. We don't know how serious his injury is. Same for Curtis Jones. Like um, for an eye injury that we don't know much about, that seems to be keeping him up for a while. But from what the options are available, it's uh, three very obvious men in the middle of the park. And again, that's a very long-winded way of saying it. I agree with Matt.
1: <laughs> I suppose it's a, a similar situation with the front three as well, Sean. Obviously, we joked there about Divacarigi possibly coming in or, or something like that. But you know, again, Diogo Jota came off. He was on a hat trick, but he took him off early against Southampton. That's surely got to be a sign that it's going to be the same three again, hasn't
0: it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there is always an argument for Divokarigi against Everton just to see in, in what new or. Different way you can try and torment them, but but yeah, I just think he's he's the first change, probably isn't he? When you're looking to mix up that front three with an eye on on Wolves, if all is going well, or you know, alternatively, if it's not, he's a decent option to come on, but yeah, there's, there's, there's no doubt it's it's the front three, isn't it? Absolutely,
1: yep. The front three for you as well, Theo, is it the same again, or is there a, a shout for somebody mad coming in?
2: Um, it, it should be the same three, uh, it'd be very harsh to bench Jota after he's got that brace. Um, you just can't take Salah out of the team at the moment. And Mane, when he's in form as well, doesn't make sense to take him out. There is that argument for Origi, but he's never actually scored at Goodison, despite all his goals against Everton. So while it'd be a great time for him to step up and break that duck, because I think he's got what five goals against him at Anfield in the past, um, It's you've got to play the game, not the occasion. Putting Origi in up front would be playing the occasion because of that tag that comes with him of scoring against Everton. Um, Liverpool's front three is better than De Bruyne. They should be the three that hopefully uh, hammer another nail into the Everton coffin.
1: Yeah, hopefully it's a, a similar sort of situation against uh, Southampton at the weekend where you can maybe make one or two changes after an hour or 70 minutes. But uh, just before we go, we'll finish with match predictions. It's always a hard one to predict. I'm going to go 2-0 to Liverpool. I think it will be fairly comfortable, but I can't see it being an absolute battering. Sean, I'll come to you first. What are you going to predict for the game? Uh, Given, giving me big words before, I'll say I'll go
0: one better. I'll say three nil, um, and I'm fairly confident there'll be there'll be a set piece goal. So I'll throw
1: in a Van Dyke goal as well for good measure. Yeah, Van Dyke set piece goal that would certainly yeah uh, put a smile on a lot of Liverpool faces. Theo, how do you reckon it might be? I'm looking forward to
2: seeing what celebration Van Dyke comes out with if he scores. <laughs> don't want that. We want something put to do with his leg, don't we? Point at his knee or something. Uh, I'll go three one. Like uh, Everton, I expect a little bit more life in them. I don't think the crowd will let them like roll over and die or anything. So Liverpool have been a bit shaky defensively. It seems the sort of game where they could score in, but Liverpool seem to score three in every game at the moment. So maybe it'll be one where it's very tight. Liverpool winning late on. Everton start to push forward a bit and start playing for the final ten minutes and just get done on the break with uh, Salah having half a pitch to himself, something like that. But it's the most confident you can feel going into a derby, I think, especially in comparison to last season when Liverpool were in such a
1: good place and Everton, I can't remember them being in such a bad place ahead of the game. Yeah, absolutely. The form says that Liverpool should win, so fingers crossed that is the case. But I think that just about brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thanks to Theo and to Sean for joining me and for you at home too, for watching and listening as ever. We'll have all of the coverage of the Merseyside derby across the Echo, Liverpool.com and Blood Red. Until next time, though, it's goodbye for now.